This episode is made possible by our sponsors, including our newest Proud Ram Nation podcast sponsor, North Star Liquor Superstore in Johnstown. We'll talk more about them shortly, but we also want to thank CSU Ram Zone, powered by the CSU Bookstore, Ginger and Baker, and Peterson Toyota. Coming up October 28th, help Peterson Toyota kick cancer at their annual tailgate fundraiser through Ram Strength. All proceeds from the tailgate help support their CSU scholarship program for students affected by cancer. The tailgate includes a pig roast, sides, wine, beer, non-alcoholic beverages, and more. The tailgate starts at 2 p.m. for the 5 p.m. kickoff. Get your tickets today at www.ramstrength.org slash 2003-tailgate. As you know, Peterson Toyota is a proud RamNation.com sponsor who has served Fort Collins, Loveland, Windsor, and Tenmouth for more than 50 years. Whatever vehicle you're looking for, Peterson's expert staff will help you find the one that is right for you, all at competitive pricing and financing. If you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, please give Peterson Toyota first shot at your business. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Ram Nation Radio. This is our 100th episode. Can you believe that? Since our first one dating back during the 2020 COVID year. Man, it's been fun. We thank you all for listening. And uh, today we will have Joe Parker coming on. We missed getting him on during the month of September, but we're looking forward to having him back on our usual monthly cadence for the most part going forward. So look forward to asking him a bunch of questions, getting him on. Just wanted to quickly recap. Saturday night's game, man, decent crowd. The students were awesome. Lightning delay was annoying. I think the general public and alumni are still waiting and seeing before they uh, jump on the bandwagon yet, uh, which you can understand at this point. The product hasn't exactly been consistent or stellar at home. Well, we finally did get a win there, albeit to a, a down FCS team, but got off to a great start, marched down the field, got a touchdown on a 21-yard pass from Braden Fowler, Nicolosi to Torrey Horton. Then the defense let Utah Tech march down the field. Got it inside the 10-yard line, I believe. Jack Howell got a pick near the goal line to give the ball back to the Rams. And one play later, BFN hits Torrey Horton again for a 76-yard touchdown to go up 14-0. And you're sitting there in your seat thinking, man, this is more like it. This is what I've been waiting for. And as soon as you let those thoughts creep in, you know, that it's really, I actually remember thinking this and saying this to my buddy, John, sitting next to me to say, it's really nice to not be annoyed right now while watching football at Canvas Stadium. And it was literally as soon as I said that, things started going south again. BFN had a pick. It was a really bad, bad decision, forcing the ball down uh, to Dallin Holker. It was underthrown. It was an easy INT. And then the D let the Trailblazers drive down the field with ease. Uh, They did stall. They settled for a short field goal, but just very little resistance uh, from the CSU defense, especially to Utah Tech's running game. The Trailblazers came into the game averaging 87 yards rushing per game, and they had 91 yards in the first quarter. Uh, Then the next series, BFN fumbles on a scramble. It looked to me like his knee may have been down. Uh, I tried to go back and watch on the Mountain West Network Re, uh, replay but uh you know obviously there's there's no slow they didn't do any super slow-mo looks at that play and then on the app there's no real way to slow it down through the mountain west network app so i couldn't really tell but it looked like it was close but anyway that fumble led to a utah tech touchdown on a pass play that aiden hector got beat on that pulled it within 14 10 god the secondary just has not shown its potential this year got to see some better performances overall from the secondary going forward 
but then he had the lightning delay that lasted, I don't know, roughly 45 minutes, which by the way, uh, just sitting in the stadium from where we were and I sit down low, I face the East side and we're on the 35 yard line front row. And, and I saw no bad weather. I didn't see any flashes of light. There was no thunder. So it was really surprising that that, that call just came out of nowhere. It was a beautiful evening. So we'll ask Joe Parker about uh, what the process is for determining those delays. He actually, I texted him during the game. So what the hell's up with this? And he got back to me, but uh, I'll let him expand on that when we have him on here. But anyway, you know, Rams came out after the delay. They they kind of picked up their offense a little bit, went up 21-0. They were getting going again. It was a night. They had a nice drive, a big play by Dylan Goffney. Got him down inside the five, I believe. Uh, he had his best game, by the way, since transfer- transferring from SMU. And then BFN capped the drive on a fake handoff, keeper around the end, untouched, uh, easy touchdown there, go up 21 to 10. But Utah Tech, um, after the lightning delay, answered with a 13-play, 75-yard drive where the D CSU defense just couldn't get a stop again. That pulled it within 21-17. Then the second lightning delay hits. I think that was like with less than two minutes to go till halftime. So that was really, really frustrating. I think that's when I texted Joe, like, what is going on here? Uh, but anyway, you know, then you had to wait another half an hour. The teams came out, they warmed up a little bit, and they played. And they went back in the locker room for a full halftime, which was ludicrous. So we'll ask Joe about that. But uh, it was reported that CSU asked Utah Tech if they'd be willing to forego halftime due to the two long lightning breaks in the second quarter. And apparently they said no. So uh, that would be on Utah Tech for being losers in that decision making. That's just ridiculous if that's really the case. Um, both teams then had a three and out on the first possession of the second half before Utah Tech got the ball back, marched down, got a field goal, made me extremely uncomfortable. I know the rest of the people still in the stadium were uncomfortable at 21 to 20. And then you capped that off with a BFN interception again. And that's when doubt really crept in. Worst case scenarios start floating around in your head. Like, are we really going to lose to another FCS team at home? Uh, I was nervous. Uh, it would have been the third year in a row for such a loss and fourth time in five years. But uh, here's what's encouraging. The Rams took a step forward. They didn't let that trend continue. Uh, they got the offense going and they were on fire after that. So a 27-yard pass play to, from BFN to Dallin Holker set the Rams up in business. Uh, Van Shield punched in a two-yard touchdown round. They go up 21 to, or 27 to 20. Holker then had a sweet 47-yard touchdown on a laser pass from BFN that was just above the fingertips of the defender, which if it was any lower, could have been a pick six the other way. And that, man, we could have a whole different conversation right now. But uh, Holker snags that thing out of the air, puts a couple moves on a couple guys, slips a tackle and just a couple cutbacks and scores the touchdown. That was really pretty and just shows what a player, what a playmaker you got in that tight end. Put CSU up 34 to 20. And then they capped the night off with uh, Torrey Horton hat trick, uh, six-yard touchdown reception. So, you know, BFN had the three turnovers, which are costly, but those are some of the things you just know you're going to see from a freshman quarterback. You know, on the other hand, he put up some monster numbers, and he really led the offense in the second half. He finished 26 of 32, 462 yards and four touchdowns. What a game. Most yards passing by a freshman in a game in CSU history. Torrey Horton had 10 catches for 227 yards, a huge week by him. He leads the country in catches, and he's only played in four games where most teams have played five. So uh, Holker added four catches for 94 yards and a touchdown. Goffney again, yeah, like I said, had his biggest game as a Ram, four catches, 73 yards. Running game, you got to get it going. Obviously, we've talked about it every week. There were signs, though. I know people have been bitching that we didn't run the ball very well, but 
we ran empty backfields for most most of the entire first half. Jay said he did it on purpose a little bit at first due to the inexperienced backfield and just kind of stuck with it. Uh, you know, the empty backfield formation. They still ended up with 23 carries for 89 yards between Shield and Damian Henderson. And BFN added six carries for 27 yards. Um, but that being said, you do need to start seeing uh, a little bit more of a surge in the running game. You need that O-line to to get a push. And, uh, you know, I think I will say we finally saw Damian Henderson on the field and he demonstrated a quick first step, that uh, first step burst that, uh, you know, Van Shield d- doesn't have runs okay with between the tackles, but Henderson, you could tell what, what made him special in high school. Um, I, I will say, I, I posted this on the board during the game. We sit right behind the bench and we can see all the everybody's actions on the, on the sideline. And, uh, you know, Damien was visibly upset that he had not gone into the game through the first three quarters of the game and into the fourth quarter, he just kind of, kind of lost it. You could just tell he was pissed. He was shaking his head. He was kind of pouting and he had to be consoled a couple of times. I think it was James Finley who saw him upset and would go over and talk to him and tell him to calm down. And I think ultimately it was BFN who encouraged the coaches to put him in. Uh, and he got his chance. Uh, you know, I'll chalk up that behavior of, of him being a young guy wanting to play really badly. But I did also see him pouting and shaking his head a bit, even after, you know, he did go in that first series. He only got one carry and uh, was just bummed that he didn't get more carries. And and we got a touchdown, I believe, was on that on that drive. And he still came off the field all, all ticked off, even after he scored a TD. So that's what I didn't like. But um they kept him in the next series, and uh, he had a couple really nice runs before getting hurt, which, by the way, uh, Kevin Lytle says it sounds like he's going to be just fine. He was fully suited up for practice today. But uh, just head up, young man. Uh, be, you know, be a team player. You're going to be a star for this program, and, and you can tell what kind of talent he's got. Michael Rowe, let's uh, let's hear your thoughts, and uh, happy 100th episode to the podcast. Happy 100th episode, man. You know <laughs> – there's a lot of doom and gloom, way too much on the board. I get it. I mean, that was a team we probably should have smoked. We beat them by 21 points. Uh, probably should have been worse. But to be honest, I I didn't ever think that they were in the game. And, yes, I know the score is 21-20. Ended up being, uh, what, 41-20 yep. was the final score. But we had that. And if it wasn't for a few, some turnovers, some horrible calls by the officials, it, it wouldn't have been that close. Um, are there things that we have to clear up? Yes. Our defense has to start playing four quarters, and we haven't seen it once uh, this season. We looked pretty good in the first half against Washington State, and in the second half, you know, it seemed like our defensive backfield just got lost. You know, we played three strong quarters against CU, and then in crunch time, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't finish the way we needed to. And then these last two games, our defense just kind of seemed to sleep at the wheel in the first half for, against Middle Tennessee State and last week against Utah Utah Tech. So we have to, we have to start putting together four quarters defensively. Um, we have to clear up our our turnovers. Uh, I thought that fumble by Braden was was a bad fumble. Uh, carrying it way too loose and, and got hit. And it wasn't even a hard hit. Well, I say that. I wasn't the one getting hit. Uh, but it wasn't one of those bone-jarring hits where, 
you know, it should have came out. It, it was just one of those that, I mean, I think we could have put that game away. That first, first so it happened right in front of us. I don't know what the official was looking at. Corey was in the back of the end zone, completely being held, so much so that his shoulder pad was hanging out of his jersey. And then when he came back towards the play, the defensive back pushed him two hands in the back out of bounds right when the ball was thrown and he and he caught it. He, I mean, then he intercepted it. I don't know where the official was at all on that play and how he missed two egregious penalties on Torrey Horton. And I'm not even counting the, you know, the tackle on first down when we went for it, the, when we went for the touchdown and then the uh, missed spot on that fourth down. Um, I still haven't seen the replay you know, of that, but sitting there live, I mean, it didn't even look like it was going to be in question. Everyone ran back to the huddle and everyone was celebrating and, uh, you know, in the stands, it was a, it was a guaranteed, it was a first down, it was a nice play. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere that the refs, like he didn't make it like what? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even Utah tech, they got back on defense, <laughs> you know, it was, but again, looking at the positives again, I love the way that Braden plays. Um, I mean, he said it turnovers don't matter. Stats don't matter. What matters is winning and Dude just comes out and, and balls and and he has a short memory and and it's paying off. I mean, and we saw it against CU. First first drive down, throws a pick six, took it off, played the way he did. Not the best first half against MTSU. Takes it off and and I mean balls out in the second half. And you know, That's we saw the mistakes. Man. A closer, right? Exactly. I mean, you, want, you want a guy that closes a game out, that does what it takes to get the win late. And so far, he's he's done that. And um, I know even when you look back at the CU game, um, he made plays to to get us that win. He made plays. The defense kind of let us down at the end there. But he, he answered when we needed it. He even scored an OT twice. One was called back from yep. a BS call. But – but he he's showing that he will step up in crunch time. So uh, you got to like that with the back against the wall. He actually has elevated his game when things were going bad. Yeah, I, I love seeing it. Love seeing that. Love seeing Holker, Holker and Tori. I mean, it's it's seems like every weekend we're we're saying something about these two, and they're showing that they're two of the best players in the nation. Um, and and we're seeing something. I don't know if we've ever seen it at the same time. I know Trey played with with uh, Warren Jackson. I can't remember if he was – he didn't have the same role if he was on, on the team with uh, Preston and, and Michael Gallup. Um, but we're seeing an unreal tight end and an unreal wide receiver at the same time. And it's and it's and it is fun to watch. Both of them, when they catch the ball, they can take it to the house. I mean, Holker was running through guys, spinning around guys, going over them, and then Tori just did what Tori does. Uh, and it was it was fun to watch. Again, I I was never worried about it, even when it was twenty one twenty. We we just had a better team, um, and 
we just we, we start playing four quarters on defense, maybe cut back on one or two of the turnovers from Braden, even though he shakes them off. It would be nice if we didn't have to shake that off. <laughs> he just goes out and does it from the start. What would you think of um, choosing to hunt on, uh, was it fourth and one? When, when was that in the game, Mike? I just remember thinking, why, why, why are we opting to punt here when it's, and it was, it was less than a yard. It was like six inches. And it was just that, like, can, can we make a statement that we can get six inches against an FCS team? That, that's, that was frustrating that, to me. Again, I mean, one of the things is, I mean, it was, wasn't it 21 20 at that point, or was it 27 20? Had we, had we scored? Yes, I, I get it. We want to make a statement. At that point, our, our running game wasn't showing it. Although I did like the, the read options that, that we saw mm-hmm. a bit. Sure. Um, but it was great to see Patty. I mean, he he had a great fun on that. And it pushed him back deep. It pushed him back deep, and, and it flipped the field. Um, so, uh, yes, yes, it would have been nice to see see us smash it down their, their throat, pick up that that first uh, that first down but at the same time i mean why why give them a sliver of, of hope and and one thing i forgot i think we it, we lose this game last year i think one what people kind of ignore is thinking that you can change a program overnight i mean these guys haven't had success our program hasn't had success in five years and i think if we have some of those mistakes last year, we lose this game. And this is a team that's starting to believe in themselves. This is a team that's starting starting to win some games. And seeing seeing the way we won, game gets tight when it shouldn't have. And they responded and they, they went out and, and, you know, they put their foot on their throat and they finished the game. Um, and that's something that we haven't seen in a long time. In a very long time, probably since 2014, really. And to see this team starting to do that, to see our quarterbacks starting to do that, again, I think we lose this game last year. Yeah, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. That was, that was a step forward, just like last week was a step forward, just like the week against CU was a step forward. So we're seeing we're seeing some resolve from the team, which is good. We're seeing some leadership. One thing, you, you said it, the defense has got to be way better. I'm wondering, and I, I'm – I, I'm not a tactician when it comes to college football. I'm starting to wonder, like, is uh, do we have the right personnel for this four-two-five defense? I just I, I keep seeing these major gash plays, and this was a team that did not run the ball very well coming into the game, and they just torched us on the ground. And a, and a lot of times, it was like when they would line up trips right, and they would hand off to the left side, and our and our linebackers would get sucked into the line and would just leave a huge hole around the end. And it's up to like one of our nickels or our safeties to make the tackle down, you know, 15 yards downfield. And it happened so many times. I just don't know if it's, if we're making the wrong calls in that situation, if the players are not reading the play right, or if it's just the scheme thing, like are, are we not equipped for this four, two, five defense and maybe we don't have speedy enough linebackers or whatnot. I, I like our linebackers, or, but are they are they are they fast enough to be playing what Freddie Banks wants from in this defense? I I just don't know. I, I just saw it. I I watched the first half again on the Mountain West Network and uh, as a replay, and uh, just noticed it way too many times, and it got me thinking. Like, is this 
we running the right scheme here? I just didn't know what your thoughts were there. Yeah, you know, with that, you, you wonder how much of it is perhaps, perhaps Freddie trying to go very vanilla and not trying to show his hand uh, going into Mountain West play. Again, you go back to to uh, what we did last year on defense. So, you know, we struggled now, obviously, playing Michigan and, and Washington State. That's gonna that's gonna make you struggle, um, but <clears throat> sorry, but the way we looked against Sac State, the way we looked against NTSU last year, we weren't a very good defensive team. And then Mountain West play came, and CJ talked about it with us last year about how they made some uh, minor adjustments how they added things, how they took things away, all because they were going into Mountain West play. And we became one of the top teams uh, defensively in the Mountain West. So you got to wonder if, you know, that's part of it. Uh, again, my biggest thing is just us us almost falling asleep at certain points, like taking whole series off, taking almost whole quarters off. Um, and if And if that will change – Heading into heading into Saturday. Don't forget, I mean, Jack Howell kind of bailed us out early in that game too. When when Utah Tech was driving down there, it would have been their first score, but he picked them off at the goal line essentially, and it thwarted their first score. Game could have been a little different if we don't get that stop because they actually they gouged us for a good chunk of that game. But yeah, I'm hoping you're right that they, they've kept a little vanilla, and now we hit into Mountain West play, and and it's time to to hit on all cylinders. Cause you're going to need that. You're going to need that on the road in Logan. And then obviously against Boise who just hasn't looked like the Boise that we're accustomed to look very vulnerable, but you're still going to need to play some D to get some stops there. And, uh, but we're in a position here where we we've got, we, we can do some things. Uh, I would sure be lovely to, to go into Logan and win, have a three and two record and then uh, be a heck of a homecoming. It's, it's setting up. It's setting up for uh All right, let me pause real quick and tell you about our newest Ram Nation podcast sponsor, North Star Liquor Superstore, located on Thompson Parkway in Johnstown, right across the roundabout from Shields. They have the area's largest selection of beer, wine, spirits, and cigars, and you can always find their current specials online, along with their new arrivals, staff picks, and tasting event information at northstarliquorstore.com. New customers get 10% off their first online order. Check out their huge selection in-store or order online for delivery or curbside pickup. See their selection for yourself and stock up for your homecoming tailgate by visiting North Star Liquor Superstore, a proud supporter of the Ram Nation podcast. Also, you know how much we love Ginger and Baker with their two great restaurants and awesome event spaces. The Cash Restaurant features great wine, steaks, and chops. And the Cafe Restaurant has all my personal favorites. And of course, they've got great events such as the upcoming Stranahan's Colorado Whiskey Pairing Dinner on October 4th in the Wine Cellar. Then on October 25th, check out the Spooky Cocktails class where attendees will learn from Ginger and Baker's in-house cocktail expert how to make three spooky cocktails paired with Ginger and Baker's classic bites. Not to mention a variety of fun cooking classes each and every month. Check out gingerandbaker.com slash calendar for a full list of events. This place is amazing, guys. Support our friend Ginger Graham and treat yourself to a world-class experience at our favorite place, Ginger and Baker. 
let's go ahead and welcome in Joe Parker. Joe, how are you doing, buddy? Great. Are we? Is this the show? Or are we recording for the show, or just recording to be ready? You know, we're just we're just flowing right into it, Joe. Yeah, because I know we have minimal time with you today. So uh, you actually, my be- my four o'clock, I'm I'm opened up, so we can roll if we need to go beyond four. Oh, let's go a full hour then. Okay. I'm All just right. kidding. We'll we'll uh, we'll go we'll go, but it's good to know we don't have to cut off on a hard stop. No, no, we don't have a hard stop right now. Good deal. Well, hey, um, good second half for the Rams Saturday night, and uh, you know, it was a we always want to see a bigger crowd, but I thought I thought the students were awesome. I thought there was great energy in the stadium. The tailgating was always a spectacle. It's always great on Ag Day and the orange out. And I know that the uh, Ag Day tailgate was huge, as always. What did you see on that day? Was what did you enjoy about the the Ag Day experience? Yeah, kind of all the things that you just stated. You know, I thought the the pregame experience uh, that I witnessed and was a part of and was watching and observing was was really special. Um, we sold out. Uh, I think it was the largest. Ag Day crowd that we, you know, Ag Day barbecue crowd that we've had since um, since we opus can't open Canvas Stadium. I think they they had four thousand tickets available for sale and they sold all sold all four thousand. Um, Chris Ferris and our external team did a really really good job partnering with Ag, um, but probably just as important was with Engagement Extension that manages uh, the 4-H um, activities throughout the state. And we had over 700 4-Hers that came to the game with others as well. So that was really special. We've been trying to figure out how to kind of crack the code on that, so to speak. And and finally this year, um, just arrived at a really strong partnership there that I think can be carried forward into future years. And that's that's exactly what we want. You know, we you know, part of our mission statement is to, you know, is, is, well, it's to educate, engage, and excel, but, you know, the engage piece is what we want to do for the entire institution and to bring, you know, 700 4-Hers to campus who are, every one of those students is a prospective CSU student, you know, to get them involved with campus, to see what campus feels like, to have that experience, you know, I think gives us a, a running start for, you know, being front of mind when they're starting to make that decision themselves. And we really, you know, we want to maintain that connection, you know, principally to Eastern Colorado. And that's where a lot of the 4-Hers come out of. So that was, you know, an A-plus effort on our part uh, to help the institution, you know, potentially attract future students. And so that felt great. Um, You know, we, you know, Ram Walk just gets better and better, I think, each time. And, you know, we made a few adjustments with the band to actually lead the team, you know, down Hughes Way and then and then make that south turn on to Meridian towards the Rocky Mountain Rumble. So that that felt really good to to get that level of cooperation from the band to help us with creating that. Um, and, and then, yeah, I think just generally our students continue to 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 show up and even through to uh delays related to um, weather or lightning detected in the area, you know, they, they, they seem to stick with it and understand, you know, the importance of their, their voices and, and helping, you know, continue to motivate our team and keep them on track and make it difficult for the visiting team to execute. So, so yeah, those were highlights outside of the game itself. And, 
And then, you know, the game, you know, I, as we've talked before, I, sometimes I don't get to watch much because, you know, you always end up in conversations and, and you know, kind of socializing. But I did get a chance to sit down and actually watch the game in the second half. And that seemed to be the better half of the game for us. <laughs> so, um, you know, scored some points, you know, got an idea of what, what our team is capable of doing offensively. Uh, saw the defense tighten up at critical moments. So, so it, there was, you know, a lot of things to build upon, as Coach Norvell continues to say, and, and that's what we're all about is trying to prove week over week. It was a great second half. Hey, I know you and I were texting a little bit during the game about the lightning. Can you explain to the listeners how that worked and wh- what goes into the decision-making to, to call those uh, delays? Yeah, it was, it was all my fault. It was my decision, my choice. You know, I I, I called up the, the weather event that kind of hung over us. So, so yeah, there there was a weather system that kind of moved over the stadium and and just kind of stayed there for a while. It, it wasn't moving much, and it was it was kind of a high altitude system, and all the uh, lightning activity was taking place at the highest point of that system. So it wasn't it wasn't visible lightning, but but as you mentioned, we've got a weather system that we're you know we subscribe to, um, and uh, and we have a. a, a National Weather Center meteorologists. We we've got a command center. I don't know, you know, that'd be something you ought to come look at sometime. That's on the sixth floor of the stadium, and it's just a, a large room with a oh, yeah. and, and, uh, yeah. and it it uh, you know it's got all the personnel that's needed to to make critical decisions on game day, whether it be you know anything related to crowd safety. So you know if it's a uh, you know, law enforcement, you know, crowd management event, if it's a weather event, if it's really anything, um, people may not want to hear this either, but we've got over 200 high definition cameras that are watching whatever people are doing that are, uh, it's a good tool to kind of understand what's taking place, but that's just a full description of kind of what happens within the command center and all the decision makers from law enforcement and our own um, event management staff and and then you know that resource for the the weather center are all there and as soon as there's lightning detected then you know there's a protocol that we've got to follow and you know safety is what we're trying to manage at an absolute premium and um you know so so i i went into the command center and kind of just listened and observed and and then we you know we communicate out using the 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 video board and the PA and, you know, we've got contact with the officials on the field and the, the staffs of both uh, teams. And, and, you know, until we get, until we get a, a safe uh, distance where there's no more uh, activities that we need to be concerned about related to lightning, you know, that's the only time that play can get resumed. And it was just odd too, that we had to do two, but another system kind of moved into the area after uh after we got close to getting through the first one. So apologize for it. You know, it's not not fun to be delayed, but, you know, we do live in Colorado and that comes with probably, you know, I think we're one of the areas of the nation that has the highest level of, of lightning activity of anyone. One thing that was weird was the second one came just a couple minutes before halftime. So a lot of us thought hey, they'll just probably forego halftime you know, after the two long breaks in the second quarter. But uh, did I hear correctly that we approached Utah Tech about maybe skipping halftime and they declined? Or is that 
what, what yeah i i don't i think there's a little bit of miscommunication i think i think um you know, ideally, you want the officials and both coaches together at the same time. I think Jay and the officials had that conversation, um, and you know, I think I think at that point, you know, our desire communicated to the officials would that we would just skip halftime um, and use the the delay, you know, as as halftime. And and I don't know if all that got appropriately communicated to the the visiting team and, and there, you know, there needs to be agreement, um, to, to move forward. And, and so, you know, like with everything, you know, you, you, you know, you want to make sure that you learn from the experience. And so we're going to, we're going to kind of revisit all of our protocols around, you know, lightning and weather delays and, and make sure that, you know, we put everyone in the room at once to, to make sure that there's the appropriate flow of communication. There's, an absolute lockdown on agreement before before we advance and begin to communicate to to external stakeholders that are in the stadium. Well, I love the five p.m. kickoffs. I feel like they they work they work great for me, and I think they work great for a lot of people that you work around the the youth sports that happens earlier in the day. But it's just I think it's been great. You get a long nice tailgate leading up to the football game. But obviously, we saw that the the Boise State kickoff was announced, the seven forty five kickoff. Obviously, that's not ideal for fans. I think you've been a real advocate for those, um, for minimizing the night games. What say, if any, do you have to thwart those? I know that I've seen people complaining about it, but I think it's basically when TV tells you you're kicking off at this time, that's when you're playing, right? But what does that process look like at the beginning of the season? Like, we want to play as few night games as possible, or our ideal time is 2 p.m., 5 p.m.? How does that all work? Yeah, we, we I mean – everything you said is accurate. Um, you know, at the beginning of the season, you know, we, we just stress with the conference office and when we get a chance to directly to our TV partners that our preference is to avoid, you know, those late TV time slots. Um, and, and, you know, I think, I think, you know, 745, not, not, not ideal, uh, but you know, the trade-off is it's Fox sports one and it's a national broadcast. So, you know, you want as many eyeballs on the program as we possibly can get, you know, as we, you know, so I want to make the best end venue experience that we possibly can. And I know that when you kick later than 5 p.m., that that that's likely to to, you know, depreciate the experience for the end venue fans, the people that are making a commitment to buy tickets and invest in tailgating experiences. Um, so that's not ideal. But the flip side of that is, is that you know, we are getting a, a national broadcast from uh, FS1. And, you know, as we look towards future opportunities for, you know, conference realignment, should those opportunities come forward, you know, we're going to have to be able to demonstrate that we've got an engaged TV audience as well. And to do that, you know, we've got to get on the national platforms as often as we possibly can. And we have to play, you know, great opponents and and have great games and great results. Um, you know, so, you know, we saw what happened when we went down to Boulder, you know, we had an ESPN national broadcast and we had 9.3 million people that watched that game, not an ideal kick time, especially for what we, you know, what I just stated, we have a, an interest in when we're trying to create, you know, great in venue experiences, but that's 9.3 million people. And that was the fifth largest broadcast in the history of ESPN for college football 
number one in that time slot, the number one streamed event for their company. So, you know, if you get a chance to be associated with audiences like that on TV, um, you know, there might be some sacrifice you have to make for the venue fans as well. Yeah. Well, one of the things that as you look at it, and and I agree, the FS1 platform is where you want to be, but they also have a 5 p.m. kickoff on, right before us, the K-State-Texas Tech game. I'm probably not going to end until nine-ish, right? So that means TV viewers aren't going to see most of our first half. I mean, that's it's not going to affect me because I'm going to be at the game, right? But I do like yeah. to record the game and watch them later. And then if you look at their schedule before that game, the Kansas-Oklahoma State game starts at, I don't know, they have allocated three and a half hours for that game before the next one starts. But for ours, they only have two hours and 45 minutes. So I just think that they're kind of sticking it to us a little bit. I just don't like that practice with some of our TV partners, how they do that. But I don't know if that's something that the the league can press our partners on because I just, that stinks. That stinks that people are going to for sure miss the first quarter, right? So yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, you know, they're they're trying to assemble across all of their time slots, across all their platforms, the best TV audience that they possibly can. You know, so, you know, it's incumbent on us as a program to perform at higher levels and, and win games. But, you know, we also need fans to engage around that programming, you know, whether it's in the stadium or, you know, on TV or through streaming platforms. So, you know, I. I got, I got my teeth kicked in when I once said ecosystem, but it is truly an ecosystem, guys. Oh boy, you're you know, opening up the floodgates. Yeah, I, I don't, you know, I, you know, I don't, I don't know any other better way to describe it. Other people have used it too. When I tend to throw that word out there, people just want to pound my face in. But it's, it's, it's brothers, it's an ecosystem. So, and you know, it's one big system that we're trying to be uh the, the biggest cog in that wheel that we possibly can be hey, looking ahead to next year uh with cu coming to canvas i mean i would hope that csu fans are gonna look at that opportunity to see cu at our our new stadium uh and gobble up a lot of tickets gobble up season tickets to ensure that they can attend that game but you know there's going to be just like nebraska was in their game in boulder this year they bought a lot of season tickets packages from cu to ensure they could get access to that game I know that would help the bottom line, you know, for, for the athletic department, but do we, we obviously don't want that many buff fans in the stadium. We don't want, want them taking away season tickets from Ram fans. Is there, is there anything you can do outside of obviously Ram fans got to do their part and buy the tickets, but to limit the number of tickets that can get into those buff fan hands or, or season tickets in part in particular. Uh, I don't know. This might be the second most unpopular thing I say today next to ecosystem, but you know, it, it, you know, I've got an obligation to try and maximize revenue for this department. You know, it's important for our football program. It's important for, you know, our, our 15 other varsity programs. Um, we're going to, we're going to work on uh, putting a plan together that will um, hopefully give Ram fans the first opportunity to, to be a part of that game. But, you know, eventually, even if even if we were to sell every ticket to someone that is genuinely qualified to be a Ram fan, the secondary market oftentimes takes over and and, you know, that goes to the highest bidder, you know, when when tickets are available and people find that they can't attend the game or they decide that they're going to sell one game to recoup, you know, the majority of their their season investment. Um, and, and then at that point, you know, 
there's no way to control who's actually going to acquire that seat and and use it for game day. You know, do I absolutely want to make sure that we have a home field advantage? Of course, you know, and the best way to do that is for people that feel energized about our program to buy those tickets and hold those tickets and attend and use them themselves. And, um, you know, it, it is an exciting opportunity for us. I mean, 2024, we're going to have seven home games. I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not even, since I've been here, that's never happened. I don't know if there's ever been a point in our history where we've had seven home games, probably. Um, I think but, there has only when we've counted the Invesco game, the mile high game as yeah. The- yeah, so so you know, and CU is going to be one of those games. I mean, and and given the level of interest that's you know around the game that we had this year, you know, I can only imagine what it's going to be next year. So I would say to every Ram fan, you know, plan it, put it in your budget, you know, invest in season tickets because um, it's going to be a special event. You know, we're going to make sure it is a special event. Our team's going to be prepared to play that one. I'm getting you know. I guarantee it, you know, they, you know, I, I think, you know, as, as Jay pointed out, we've got more Colorado kids on this roster than anyone in the Western United States. And I, I'm sure it's going to remain that way. And, you know, those, those young people, you know, when they go home over the holidays, you know, they, they want, when they're asked about that game, they want to at least be able to say they played their tails off and they played well. Um, and certainly the outcome everyone is looking for is a victory. Yeah. Well, I was surprised to see the day before the the CU game that we returned 500 of our ticket allotment. I know that the tickets were very expensive, and I know that it's a uh, not a pleasant experience being in Boulder. I was there, and it's it's never pleasant. But um, I enjoyed going into enemy territory and watching our team try to win. But uh, yeah, was that a bit of a disappointment to see that and then where was any effort made to try to get those back in the hands of people who m- might have wanted to buy extras for their group or yeah it's you know again you you make the offer you know you 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 know you feel like you're over communicating the offer and the market response and a lot of the people that I talked to that I would have thought would have been likely purchasers of tickets said both of those things that you just referenced, you know, it's a, it's an expensive ticket. And, you know, the last time I went to Boulder, it was, you know, not a very good experience. So do I want to pay a premium to be, you know, treated a particular way? And I think a lot of people decided that wasn't the case, you know, you know, we did, we did sell, you know, whatever it was, 2,500 tickets within our allotment or use 2,500 tickets within our allotment with, with player guest tickets. Um, so that's, you know, that, that is a positive, um, but, but, you know, we, we weren't going to eat them, you know, and, and we've got to, we've got to, you know, if we'd held on to those tickets, we were going to be transferring $130 per ticket to, to the folks in Boulder. And I didn't feel like I wanted to use any of our department resources to, to, you know, hang on too many longer than we hang on to those tickets any longer than we had to. So, um, if someone's looking to criticize anyone for that, that, situation throw the throw that one on me you know but but you know we got to be good stewards of our resources and it didn't make any sense to to spend you know money to hold tickets and and wait for us to be able to sell those there was a a deadline when we need to return them which is you know common very common so joe uh thanks a lot for joining us for our 100th episode i don't know if joel said that earlier didn't say that 
No, that's cool. Yeah. So, so thank you. Thank you for being on with us today. Um, so in typical Ram Nation uh, fashion, fans complained a lot about a week two buy. How did that come about? Oh, God, Mike, I'd have to look back and, and see, you know, our scheduling. I mean, it, it you know, we, we had the, the Boulder game for 11 years, neutral site. And then, you know, when we tapped out after that, you know, when Rick and I finally got together and, and were able to get dates back on the, the extended calendar, I think the CU game, I know, I know that that impacted, you know, we don't have a guarantee game this year. And, uh, you know, that's got some budget impacts that we've been able to navigate and mitigate. Um, but I, I think that had a little bit to do with it. Um, just where CU landed, where we'd already had uh, Washington State programmed. And then and then where we'd already agreed upon a return for Middle Tennessee State. And then the last the last game that we always schedule in is our FCS game. And, you know, I. I I'm guessing if I had to that, you know, of the available schools to play at the FCS level, you know, we settled on Utah Tech and and that, you know, last weekend was the date that they were available. So that that dropped a bye week in week two, you know, which obviously wasn't ideal as you want to schedule. But, you know, as we kind of reflect on it, you know, Jay, Jay turned it into a, a net positive to, you know, use that additional week to to get you know, prepared for the CU game and, and it, you know, it seemed to work, right. Um, you know, we, you know, I reflect back on that game and, you know, there's never been a game in my career that I wanted to see a team perform better and win than that one for us. And, you know, as you play well, you know, you feel good about that and there are no moral victories, but, you know, if we could have found a way to close it out in the final two Oh six, that would have been a lot better than, you know, stretching it into two overtimes and and letting, uh, you know, a lot of other factors play a role, principally officiating. Is there any impact that might happen with um, all this conference realignment that's been going on on some of our future schedules? Because I know that we've got some some games coming up against uh, teams moving from the Big 12 to the SEC, teams moving from the PAC to the Big 12. And how, how might that affect any of our yeah, I don't I don't think it's going to have any impact. You know, I, I you know, I, if I think I would have gotten some calls if people are going to have to make some changes, but it, it doesn't seem that way. Um, you know, Big Big 12 plays, a, a I think, a nine game conference schedule. Pac-12 does, too. So those schools are being absorbed, you know, by the Big 12. Doesn't likely look like there's a, a change in how many non-conference games they're going to get. Um, you know, and 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 I think people you know, they, they like to play us. So when we have a home and home, I mean, people like to come to Fort Collins. It's a, it's a popular destination for a fan base. So I, I haven't heard from anyone that's going to try and shed games and, and wants to make changes or modifications to their, their schedule. And then, you know, there's financial penalties when they choose to do that. So, um, you know, hope I prefer to play the schedule we've got, you know, laid out for the next several years. So hopefully we won't see people bailing especially see you trying to weasel out next year for any reason? No, I don't see that happening. I, I, I you know, I, I, I don't, I mean, it, you know, if, if you're interested in the health of college football in the state of Colorado, that game's important. You know, I'd like to see it played as you know, every year, but um, I, I also understand, you know, a desire on their part to try and maintain a little more flexibility in their non-conference schedule, but you know, it, 
it, it's working for them and I think it's working for us. So, so hopefully we don't see any desires to change that. Well, speaking of realignment, is there any inside scoop that you've got that you can tell us about the latest on what's going on with the PAC two and what they might do next year and how that would relate to the mountain West? Yeah, it's, it's been pretty quiet. You know, um, I know Gloria Navarez, our conference commissioner has been in communication with both of those campuses and, and, uh, but, you know, we're getting to a point now within the next two or three weeks where I, I think it's going to, you know, require some decisions. And um, I think one of the pathways could be, is there a merger? Is there a reverse merger? Do, is there, you know, a view where there's more, more value in the IP of the PAC 12 name? You know, um, uh, is there, is there a scheduling alliance that we develop, you know, and then how do we, how do we make sure that they're, you know, there's financial incentives for them to, you know, move that alliance into, you know, that merger format. So things yet to be determined, but I'd say within the next two or three weeks, there's, there's gotta be decisions made because, you know, the one thing that's approaching urgency for them, not for us, but for them is, they need to play, you know, they need to play people in 2024. So they've got to make some decisions so that they can begin to put and assemble schedules together, not only for football, but all their, all their programs. I I know that there's been some talk that they might, I guess the NCAA allows you to have a, a year where you're still trying to figure things out so they could go alone at two for a year. Um, and the, at that point they might need some help scheduling and there might be like some sort of, you mentioned a schedule Alliance would, but how, how would you do that? You already have your, every, all the Mountain West teams have their non-conference games set and you've got your conference games that you know you got to play. How are you going to squeeze in games against these guys? Yeah, well, that that's that's where, you know, I mean, we're we're doing them a favor. And, and I think in many ways, you know, schools need to be compensated for that favor or else we have to know that there's a, a long-term, you know, long-term, near-term move towards, you know, you know, a, a, a fuller in, integration. Um, you know, I don't think any one of us wants to go through some major scheduling gymnastics just to create opportunity for them to bridge to, you know, some future that doesn't include, you know, you know, us, us, when I say us, Mountain West and those two schools playing football together long-term in the, in the uh, Western United States. So, I, like I said, I think within two or three weeks, there'll be hopefully a little more clarity as to what direction people are going to be taking this. But, but I, I think there's, you know, they're they're limited, and and there's, you know, there's opportunities. I think if they if they want to be a part of what we've got going here in the Western United States for FBS football, is relegation really a model that is on the table? No, I, I don't. I don't think so. You know, not not at the onset of these conversations, but you know, I mean that that might be honestly, Joel and Mike. I think oh oh, you know, that might be something that's explored. You know, down the road for a lot of conferences. You know, I just I just see it moving that direction. You know, there's there's going to be as we've talked before. You know the. the the brands that think that they command a lot of market value are going to always constantly feel like they need more, they deserve more. And, and so I think that might be an outlet to, to, you know, allow that to happen. And, and, uh, and it could, you know, could expand interest in, in college football, maybe. 
I agree. I think it's fascinating if you could somehow pull it off. And I think it would bring a lot of eyeballs to the to the league or the two leagues that are doing it. I just wonder as an AD, as a director of athletics for on your end, like looking at revenue and fluctuations in revenue and all the logistics that would go into it, just whether or not you think that would even be feasible. Yeah. I think for us, it, it could be, you know, so long as the floor isn't anything less than, you know, we're, we're accustomed to budgeting right now, you know, and if there's upside potential beyond that, then, you know, who, who wouldn't want to bet on the sell, so to speak, you know, I think, I think we'd want to do that. You know, we, we, um, you know, I think, I think we're, I think we've got proven models of, of being competitive, you know, our, our, our programs, you know, foot, football's on the right trajectory, you know, it's taken a while to get there, but, you know, it, it, uh, I think coach Norvell's leadership is going to lead us to sustainable success. And, you know, we've seen it with coach Medved in basketball, seen it with Ryan Williams, you know, seen our volleyball program under, under, you know, Tom's leadership and Emily's now, um, in our Olympic sport programs, you know, we, we, uh, you know, we, I think we've done a, a good job in putting, you know, the right leadership in place. What, um, if you had a crystal ball, what do you think is going to happen with the pack two and the mountain West? Um, or maybe a better question is what, what do you want to see happen? What's your ideal outcome? Uh, I, you know, the, the less disruptive clearest path possible is for them to, you know, you know, join us. And then, like I said, you know, do we, then, then, then the next decision is how do we brand that newly constituted league playing, you know, football at the highest level in the Western United States. Um, and I say that, you know, I mean, you know, yes, other schools in the Western United States are playing football, but not in a, a, cent, a Western United States centric conference. And I think there's opportunity there. I think there really is for us to, to build, to build whatever that brand is in a way that, um, you know, makes it clear and apparent that we're the, you know, you know, without a doubt, the fifth strongest conference playing FBS football. That That's exciting to me. You know, I think there's, you know, when you, you know, we've got a brand new stadium, San Diego state has a brand new stadium. Um, you know, others are making investments in their programs, you know, Air Forces, you know, rebuilding Falcon Stadium. So there's, you know, Hawaii's working on a project, you know, when Dave Matlin was there, now under Craig's leadership, their new athletic director, you know. So so I think there's, you know, a lot of us are really interested. I know Fresno State's trying to do a stadium project. So so there's I think there's, you know, a desire to play high level of football in the Western United States. And we want to be a part of that. We want to help grow that i appreciate you setting this next question up on the tee for me you just talked about canvas stadium absolutely love it uh love the movie nights i love the the fort collins centric uh high school games where where you know the four high schools are playing each other um they're at canvas i love that we're getting ready to host uh, the state championships that's in 4a and 5a correct yes uh love that but you, you just mentioned Snapdragon Stadium, San Diego State. This year they hosted concerts. They hosted uh, the late Jimmy Buffett, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Coldplay, Guns N' Roses. Pink is playing there tonight. Uh, they hosted the semis of Gold Cup uh, in men's soccer. Uh, the U.S. women's national teams playing friendlies there. They, they had uh, Dortmund of the Bundesliga played. Wrexham played Man United. 
they had the World Lacrosse Championships. They've had a lot of things there. Now, when Canvas opened, it was originally named Multi-Purpose Stadium. So when are we going to start seeing that? And is that a decision uh, as, a, as a facilities? Is that a decision with the athletic department, a combination? Um, so expand on that, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, before before we had Canvas as a partner, I, I I know we we were we called it the multi-purpose stadium, and and the intention is to to try and you know leverage it well beyond football. Um, but you know when we when we settled on design, we we made it you know first and foremost a venue to host Division One FBS football, and um, you know so when you talk about soccer opportunities and things like that, Mike, you know they. Snapdragon was designed for a soccer partner to, you know, live and breathe in that facility. They, you know, are, are all of our football operations are in that building, you know, so it, it's gotta be, you know, even though we want it to be multi-purpose, you know, you, you can't load it up like a event center um, because football lives and breathes in it every day, you know, student athletes, staff. Uh, so we, We've been able to put our toe in the water and and utilize it for other events. You know, all the all these special event spaces, all the premium spaces are used for special events. You know, we'll we'll continue to explore, you know, the right opportunities to put um, you know, other events in it. You know, Amy's been really aggressive to revisit conference or rather concerts in the stadium. Um, so I think that'll eventually happen. Uh in, you know, but, you know, you, you look at what they did in Austin with the Moody Center, you look at what they did at Snapdragon, you know, the financial model for both of those venues is totally contemplated on keeping it as busy as it possibly can be throughout the year, not just, you know, uh, basketball season for Moody and, and football season for Snapdragon. Uh, but, you know, ours was, I think, designed principally to serve football and then explore, you know, other events. So, you know, I, I don't know that we would ever have a, a full-fledged soccer partner. You know, we've talked to Hailstorm. You know, do they want to bring events into the stadium? Yes. Will we likely do that at some point in the future? Yes. Have we already? Yes. Um, you know, can we explore these, these opportunities with, you know, high school football? Yes. You know, we'll continue to do that in concerts. You know, I, I don't know that we'll ever get beyond a rhythm of maybe, you know, two or three per year, but I'd love to get up to that point. And we still haven't been, been able to manage to even host one. Uh, part of that was, you know, the IGA prohibited us in the first three years to do that. And then, you know, COVID disrupted, you know, thoughts around it. And, and uh, you know, now that Amy's on board as of February 1st, you know, we've been, we've been re-energized around that and we're talking to concert promoters and we'll get there. So with that being the Rolling Stones, since uh, since uh, they uh, yeah they, they, they played Hughes, that that'd be awesome. That would be fantastic if that were, you know, the first act or you know an early act. Um, but you know, I, and it's also you got to kind of thread the needle. You know, I, you know, promoters. I think of you know, ideally they'd like to do it when students are on campus. I don't know if that's absolutely necessary in my mind, but but that certainly helps to sell tickets and, and, um, you know, but when you, when you contemplate students, you know, then 
May, you know, May, May enters into a month where, you know, you, you, you get great weather and then weather that might not be absolutely conducive to, to an outdoor concert. And then, you know, you push it into August or September. And at that point we're playing football and it, it probably doesn't make it feasible to host a, a concert at that point, unless we're, you know, unless, unless we're like a bye week and a travel week and, you know, you got a full weekend in between where, where you could do a concert. Hey Joe, I wanted to ask a question on behalf of, um, there were a few people who had not complained. I mean, everyone gets that stuff like this happens, but um, the tailgate contest that you guys had at the opener where you guys had coach Hilbert and uh, a, a group of judges swing by a bunch of tailgates that people had signed up for and, and paid 25 bucks to be part of this contest. And I know a lot of people said that the judges didn't stop by their tailgate. I don't think anyone came by Mike's not that it's a big deal, but just wondering if you got any blowback on that or, or had any clarification on, on that whole contest joel whenever we make a mistake whenever we fall down people are never slow to point that out so um and we uh, like i've always said we try and learn from our mistakes you know we, we probably got overly ambitious we might have accepted too many entrants um and then and then i think the you know the thing that we didn't really understand on game day is you know yeah so you've got three people that have self-identified there in the Moby lot or whatever the number was, you know, then you gotta, then you gotta actually locate them in the Moby lot, you know? And, and so I think that, that took a little bit of time. Um, so, you know, I, I think it went well enough that we'd like to do it again in the future, you know, apologize to, you know, Mike, your group and, and others that didn't get a, a fair evaluation of the effort that you put into and the resources that you put into your tailgates. Um, you know, I think ultimately, I can't remember what the number was. I think we had close to 30 entrants and there may have been five or six that we that we didn't get to, you know, just simply ran out of time. And we got to figure out a way to, you know, make the, the you know, it more more uh, efficient to get, you know, to each tailgate and, and then on to the next one. But, um, you know, it, it I think it was a good, good promotion and I'd like to see us attempt it again and do it flawlessly next time. Uh, we, we are doing, I don't know if you paid attention, but we're doing a residence hall challenge, which, which is working out pretty well. It's pretty, I think it's a, a you know, a good thing that maybe we might be able to, you know, kind of make a, a tradition for the residence halls on, on percentage of attendance at games. Uh, we've got a new winner this time around. I think Corbett hall was a winner from this last weekend. And, uh, we're we're bringing a Kona ice truck out for all the residents to partake. Um, so that's a nice nice addition to to how we promote to encourage student attendance. That's awesome. You guys do a lot of good stuff, and I know Mike was not one of the people that cared about the tailgate contest, but there were a few, and I just wanted to get your comments. So thanks. Yeah, I, yeah. I personally think that it should be the final game of the season. Have the tailgate contest oh. then. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Half the half the people that signed up wouldn't even be there at the end of the season, it's, right? It's it's easy. It, you're right, Mike. It's easy in September when it's a, a beautiful day, but November, you know, that might be a little bit different. You that's know, that's when the true tailgaters are out. Yeah, I right. I this is probably I I won't name any names, but you know I, I you know at this point I know most of our people, particularly people that get involved with you know a tailgate contest and and I guess. I'm, I should probably just call them directly, but 
I would prefer that they give us feedback as opposed to feedback on social media, but maybe that's just the way of the world is now, you know, and that's a ridiculous thing for me to say. But when you're amongst friends, you'd think that they'd at least give you the courtesy to reach out before they take it social. But that's the way All of the right. world, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> so any updates on the women's footies uh, facilities? Uh, everything's functioning very well. You know, the locker rooms have been a big hit. Um, they've been in use now for about almost two months now, I think close to, um, and they're, they're serving those programs well. So volleyball, soccer, softball, and then, uh, track and field, men and women's golf, women's tennis. Um, you know, they, they all got new locker rooms and Moby and, and, uh, I'm looking out right now, Mike, um, you know, we still still have to do the repair on the competition field for soccer that unfortunately won't be able to be used this year. But we we did transition um, after their early September matches to the to the new facility. And they've been playing on the practice field, both competing practice and competing on the practice field. And that's that's working well. Um, but uh, I think by the end of October, all the repairs should be made on the competition field. And that was a direct result of, you know, rain damage. Now, you'd wonder how grass could get damaged by rain. But I um, can't remember if we talked about this or not on the, on the last show. We did. Yeah. Yeah. That, that storm drain, uh, storm sewer, you know, blew a manhole cover and, and, you know, floated the sod. So, but we'll get it fixed. And, and I think we'll get it fixed in a way that we'll never encounter that issue again. So the 76ers are holding their training camp at Moby. How did this come about? Um, yeah. So, you know, we've got this, this uh, alumni, his name's Jason Smith, who's got some relationships with NBA teams on the East coast. And he called, I might get this wrong, but I feel like it was in June, maybe, maybe July. And he said the Sixers had contacted him and they, you know, knowing that he was a native of Colorado and they were trying to locate a place where they could um, do a high altitude training camp. And so Jason said, would be, would, would we be interested? And I said, very likely, yes, but you know, our priority is going to be for our teams. Um, but what dates are they considering? And and so we put uh, the 76ers operations people together with our event management team. And, and we were able to kind of work everything out where, you know, our teams are getting, the facilities when they need them to develop for their seasons. That's both our men and women's basketball and volleyball, which are all, all practicing right now. And yeah, I saw some really tall men walking around Moby today, which I usually, I mean, we, we've got tall guys on our roster, but there was, there was NBA, an NBA team in the building and it was quite obvious. So um, it's exciting. It's, you know, for our teams and, for our staff to be able to, to host and, and provide that opportunity for an MBA program. Um, beer and wine sales. How's it going? Uh, um, yeah, you know, it, it it's, uh, it's, it's been a, a boost to our concessions and, and that's a good thing for us. You know, we, we, we talk about revenue and resources and so it's going to help, you know, my, my greatest concern hasn't really been, uh, realized, and I was just bothered by the thought that people would be spilling beer on those retractable bleachers and it'd be a cleanup issue and a maintenance issue. And, and so far it hasn't been the case. Now I know we've only tested it with 
with volleyball and you know the true test will be once basketball seasons get rolling and there's more more people in the building but but i i think um you know i i I think it's working and i'm glad we're able to do it what what prompted you to make that step because i know you were hesitant before uh you know we we just getting a lot of confidence with our concession partner and and their ability to execute and 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 then you know the loft was a first step to you know to to you know explore that a little bit and and then you know we as always it, everything we do is a collaborative decision so you know we got with the right people on campus to to have the conversations about you know just just you know the overall safety of a big public assembly facility like Moby and and then um you know when when Amy onboarded that was the first thing that was on my list of things to review and ask her of and she was she was thumbs up you know felt that we did done the appropriate due diligence with the right partners on campus and and so we're 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 doing it now and and doing it responsibly will anything change with the with the loft now that there's alcohol allowed throughout the arena will it still be roped off as a like a private section or um it it's pretty much status quo you know when we first contemplated the loft we thought about is it is it going to function like the porch as a as a controlled access space where you've got to be credentialed and you you know you you support at a higher level to have the privilege of using the space um you know we probably haven't built our crowd sizes up to the point where we need to do that or could do that but I think that's always something in the back of our minds is, you know, do we, you know, do we, you know, is there, is there some exclusivity that we could, you know, capitalize on and, and make it a controlled access space. And, you know, so is it some, you know, designated club level or area. Um, but I, I love the loft. I think it's a great addition to the the building. I think it, the, the branding that FMBO has done is, you know, outstanding and and has complemented the, the loft area itself. I think the, you know, the permanence of the drink rail, you know, is a classy way to designate the area. You know, I think the flat screen TVs, you know, add to it. And, and uh, it was never designed with the intent to make that a fully functional observational deck to the playing court. Um, but, but it was uh, a low cost, you know, way to to create an area that was unique and different and ad- adds to the character of the building. Last question. Have there been plans to do like a full-on renovation of Moby in any way, concourses, uh, luxury spaces or anything like that? Is that down the road? Uh, there, we're always exploring ways to improve ourselves. And so, yes, I mean, that's something that that I think, you know, we're, we're going to start to develop a plan around you know, how can we make that building function better for everyone? You know, part of that was all the renovations of locker room spaces, which um, in, in total has been probably close to $15 million worth of work. Um, but but yeah, I'd love to figure out a way to enhance the arena for the spectator experience. And that would include premium seating and probably more concourse course spaces to circulate, maybe more hosting hospitality areas and, you know, um, you know, 
point of sale for concession is is you know you know needs needs attention if we can figure out a way to do that all at a, a reasonable project cost i think it'd be a great thing for for the university yeah i would a lot of stuff on your plate joe a lot of good stuff yeah for sure it's, it's fun you know and and uh you know winning is always better than losing that's the one thing we always want to remember well so, we're we're two and two now in football and big game this saturday would sure would be great to come back to homecoming against Boise three and two. And I think that would really create a great environment and a lot of energy at the, at the stadium. So let's hope. Absolutely. That Absolutely. And appreciate all the support that you and Mike provide to the department with your advocacy and your voices and the ambassadorship that you guys serve and, and uh, appreciate all of Ram nation and what they do to help us um, create a, what I believe is a first class experience for our student athletes and our fans too. It's our pleasure. Thanks Joe. You bet, Joel. All right. That was Joe Parker. Really good catching up with him. A lot of good information there. Appreciate him staying longer than we thought we had him because uh, we ended up having a lot of questions and we went would have went way over the time that we had originally scheduled. So um, thank you guys for listening, Mike. Thanks for chiming in. I know Mike was running around his daughter and running errands during that whole thing. So um, appreciate him. And uh Thanks for listening for all uh, these hundred episodes that we've been putting out. It's fun for us. It's We're not making a lot of money off this stuff. It's, we just do it for fun. So we're glad that somebody appreciates it and, and, and spends time listening. So thanks. Please support our sponsors. They are what make this thing go. And let's go get a win in Logan this, this weekend. That would really set us up for a fun game, fun homecoming. All right. Have a great rest of your week. And go Rams. But didn't pick out. Finally got a call from a girl.